Welcome to the Buckleverse, my friends. I am your host, Podcasting's Danny Buckler. If you're watching the YouTube version, hit subscribe to the channel, hit the bell, and give us a like, why don't you? And I know what you're thinking if you're a regular viewer or listener. The Buckleverse? The Buckleverse? What's this? What's this? We subscribe to a podcast called Borderline with Danny Buckler. In good faith, sir. And now this Buckleverse is showing up in our inbox. What's this? What's this? Explain yourself, man. Explain yourself. I will. I've changed the title. I've changed the title for to, to the Buckleverse. Why? To reflect the change in season, the change in my mindset. Just changing. Just, just, you know, to give the place a bit of a spruce up. You know what I mean? I'm like David Bowie. I constantly have to reinvent within tradition. I'm constantly involving. You can't... What is Buckler? You can't put your finger on him. Is he a magician? Is he a comedian? Is he a success? No. But he's here. And uh, <laughs> that's it, mate. I've changed the title. There you go. The Bucklerverse. Borderline no more. The Bucklerverse rises from the ashes. Think Doctor Who regenerating himself. So here we are. And here it is. I've been away, my friends. Not been around. You may have noticed there's not been a Bucklerverse for about um, six weeks. There's reasons for that. Um, both my own health and uh, lots of traveling. I've been working a lot. I've been all over the place, mate. Oh, it's all come back online. I've been going through airports and all sorts. And um, where have I been? Spain, Italy, Portugal, Istanbul, not Constantinople. But it's been a really lovely little run for various people. And I've had a really good time. I've also been working, though, in the West End of Swinging London. In a show called Wonderville. Now, what is Wonderville? I am going to tell you. Coming up, by the way, later in the show, personal takes on the Wrath of Khan. Because that also happened in the last six weeks. I saw that on the big screen for the first time and it's got me musing. But first, Wonderville. Wonderville started out right in the lockdown. When you could, you know, when you could just about open a theatre. The bit, the bit you could just open a theatre, but you couldn't have any fun in there. Do you know what I mean? It was social distance seating, everyone's wearing masks. No one's having a good time, but it was a token gesture, you know, like, hey, we're out. Woo, we're going to beat the thing. And Chris Cox, who's a brilliant man, Chris Cox, he's the mind reader who can't read minds. He's, he's, I don't know how he does it, but he's a genius. He's, he creates shows, his own shows, shows for other people. He travels around the world, always business class. He's a flash bugger. But, um, very creative, very energized, always working on something, and uh, and good, good, a good man, a great man, a great performer as well, very good performer, yeah, just yeah, and a mate, good guy. He creates this magic show in the West End, uh, in the middle of this lockdown. So within all the constraints of social distance, you can't get involved, you can't interact. He creates a magic show. He got four or five of the the best magicians in the world. And he put them all together in this theatre show. I mean, it was great. And gave some people their West End debuts. People that had struggled in the industry for months. There they all were. And it was a great show by all accounts. It was very well received. And um, that was the story of Wonderville. And then it ended. You know, it was a finite run. And that was that. But he's now created this. This, this space in the West End of London. It's beautiful. I love seeing that. I love seeing an imagination come into life. Do you know what I mean? In the flesh. That's magic, mate. It's like a weird, um, it's Darren Haymarket, right next to um, Phantom of the Opera. You go in the door and uh, this thing happens around you, this, this cabaret 
performance. More cabaret than magic, this. If I, you know, the magic's, magic's there. There's a, ma- a magic performer in it every time, but more cabaret artists. Let me just take a little sip from my Wonderville mug. The tea almost tastes sweeter coming from this showbiz vessel. So it's a cabaret show with a rolling cast. It's never the same show twice. You know, every night it is different. In fact, it's even different between the matinee and the evening. You never know who you're going to get. It's like Forrest Gump's box of cabaret chocolates. And one of the performers invited to be a part of this was my good self. I hosted it in the first week and also did a couple of spots. They have a comedy spot. They call it the clown but it's just a comedy spot. And um, yeah, very exciting it was. I loved it. I was so grateful that he, I'm grateful that he asked me and very grateful to have done it. And uh, who knows, might even do it again. It might come back. But um, at the moment, it's not. That it, It's, yeah, it's shut. But, um, <laughs> but while it was there, spectacular times. So I was the host and I was very much looking forward to being a part of it because it was a gateway into an underground community that I don't know much about. The world of cabaret, international cabaret. I know about comedy venues. I know about theatres. I know about cruise ships. A little bit about telly. I know nothing of the world of cabaret. There's a whole circuit of venues that I don't know anything about where these mysterious artists do these performances that all seem to be based around like two or three things if you know what I mean um that they do all do exceptionally well the world of burlesque I was looking forward to a little bit of an insight into it. I, I saw it it was wonderful meeting these people it was a mouthful hosting these shows I've got to be honest because they've all got names like weird names they don't use their real names it seems in the cabaret world I don't think I've worked with one of them that use their actual name they've all got names like um I don't know, Polly the Petals, you know, or um, Linda Loopy Legs, or, you know, Pixie Lillanot. That was a real one. I didn't know the first time I made up. Pixie Lillanot was a real one, contortionist. No idea what her real name is. Pixie Lillanot Chastity Belts was another one. Big singer. Brilliant Chastity Belts. She hosted it. I never, I worked with her when I was doing the spots because she was another host. And, um, and her host, uh, two hosting styles that you, you could not imagine more different, like... She's this big singer. She's walking around singing these belting power songs. Her own versions, her own variations, but incredible between every set. But as she's doing it, she's walking around the audience. She's interacting with people. She's singing it directly to people. She's finding people to interact with. Very funny as well with it. Great comedy stuff. Brilliant performer. Chastity belts. Pixie the Knot was literally that. A pixie that tied herself in knots. She's a contortionist and looks like a pixie. You know what I mean? They're like superheroes. Their real names are a secret. I've got no idea what Chastity Belts' real name is. She's Chastity Belts on the London cabaret scene. You know, it's like they become these characters and they go out and and the costuming is very sort of character-y. You know, it's much more flair to it. You know, comedy clubs, people turn up in their T-shirts and jeans they've been wearing all day. Just wander out with a pint of beer in their hand. You know, these people make to effort every night. You know, makeup, costuming, grooming, making themselves look immaculate. Yeah, and some weird ones. There was one called Lol, who was um, incredible. The act was literally, she let a rat trap off, a, a rat trap off on her tongue. That was the act. 
10 minutes of build up to this. Like, we're going to see the greatest feat ever. She's sort of made up a little bit like Jared Leto's Joker. Terrifying to look at. Brilliant person to chat to. Wonderful. But make it, it's really exciting. She's building it up. The tongue's getting closer. Then it isn't. And you couldn't be more... There's something about a human tongue getting near to a rat trap that does tend to create a certain tension in the room. <laughs> and then finally, whack, off it goes. Right on her tongue. And the trick to this is... She's letting a rat trap off on her tongue. There is no trick. She's just doing it. Do you know what I mean? And it's like, God, gee. But then, then there's comedy around it and bits and it builds a wonderful piece. But I'm looking at this thinking, Jesus Christ, I couldn't even. Do you know what I mean? The thought of that, a rat trap on your tongue. I catch myself, do you know what I mean? With a paperclip or something and I'm crying for a week. Eee. I asked her about it as well. You know, it was a bit like that Lawrence of Arabia scene when they're having this, the contest to see who could hold on to a match the longest and it, Lawrence wins, but it burns his fingers and, uh, you know, doesn't it hurt? And then Lawrence explains, the trick is, not that it doesn't hurt, the trick is to not mind that it hurts. Life lessons from Lawrence of Arabia. That was one of the acts, yeah. Lol. We had some magic acts as well, brilliant ones. The Knights I hosted it, who did we have? Brilliant new young comedy magician called Tom Brace. We had him. Um, a guy called Sam Hurst. It was fantastic. Really good. Never seen him before. But came down from Covent Garden and did some stuff. We had um, Matrix Illusions was interesting because that was a big illusion act at the end on the nights that I did it. And it was interesting seeing illusions of that size, that close. Like this is a small venue. They're doing that big David Copperfield stuff. But they're like two feet away. If you're in the front row, you can literally touch the box. And he's got his, his sister floating as close as that. He's passing the hoop around her, but right under your nose. That was the great thing about the show. Everything was so immediate and in your face. These cabaret performers, magicians, they had like an aerial thing set up over your head. So the aerial artists would work and do these incredible contortions and hanging and these amazing physical feats that normally you see in a circus 20 feet in the air. They're doing it right above your head. If you're sat in those tables, you can look up there right above you. And it's incredible to see it that close because you can see the intricacies of it and getting swept up in it. It was a brilliant thing that Chris created. Bravo to him. And I've been doing that. Part of this elite team of super, like being part of the Invisibles or something. Do you know what I mean? It was nice. Except that, um, at the end of the night, everyone just sort of went home. There was no like going out into Soho to sort of fight crimes. But I enjoyed every minute of that. What are we doing for time? Forgive that other <laughs> forgive that technical crap out as well. I just knocked the light over. So, oh, the first episode of the Bucklerverse. We're off to a cracking start. What else happened in this week's I've been off? My birthday did occur, didn't it? Another reason I've changed the title to mark the passing of the years. I turned old. But my brother surprised me with a beautiful gift. I was this many years old, my friends, when I found out that I share my birthday with Star Trek. I was well aware that I shared my birthday with Peter Sellers. A, a little fact that I never get tired of dropping. It's like, oh, oh September the 8th, the birthday of a, uh, a comedy genius. And Peter Sellers. But I had no idea. And it's weird that I had no idea that I share my birthday with Star Trek. you think being a mega geek, I'd know about that, but I didn't. That was always a thing when I was at school. You were either Star Trek or you were Star Wars. And I was very much in the Star Wars camp. 
I like Star Trek fight. I love it, in fact. I do watch most, but I'm not a Trekkie. I don't follow all the series. I get lot original series, Next Generation, a few other bits and bobs. I know what's going on, but um, I'm not obsessed with it like some people are. Like, you know, like Batman's the obsession. Now that's the there's only room for one driving force, you know. Then the other the other bits of geekery sort of fall in around it. But um, but I do love Star Trek. I'm not gonna pretend that I don't enjoy it very much. And Star Trek Two: The Wrath of Khan, one of my favourite films of all time. So my brother surprises me. He's got tickets. They're showing it at the local cinema, and we've got a good cinema here. Um. So the new, the director's cut, all digitally remastered and beautiful, lovely job, down we go. With the Honourable Sims as well, the three of us turn up to watch The Wrath of Khan. Now, I've never seen it on the big screen. Cinema going was not part of my childhood. You don't want to hear my sad origin story, but going to the pictures wasn't really part of it. Um, so I've missed, there's a load of stuff I've not seen on the big screen. Like I remember going to see Jaws on the big screen for the first time. I'm going to do that again in a couple of, it's out on the IMAX at the moment, but... Star Trek Wrath of Khan, only ever seen it on TV. Seen it many times, but I, was, but I tell you, this, the big screen experience transforms any movie. It was like watching it for the first time again. It was immaculate. The rest of the, the, the digital version, it looked like it was made last week. The digital kind of whatever they've done to clean it up. But on the big screen, you appreciate it so much more. I'm sure you're familiar with it. It's an old film, but this has had some scenes restored. So for a start, it's cleared up a couple of mysteries. I was on the Disney Magic, right? Not three weeks ago. And there's a guy on there right now, a guest, a beautiful guest, very lovely man. But he's basically living on there. He's been on there for a good few months and he's got a good few months to go. Um, God knows what he's doing all day on there, but he's loving it. And he's a major Trekkie. He's serious Trek. You know what Batman is to me, Star Trek is to him. He had all the stuff downloaded. We had some great chats about it. Some great nerd outs. I love a nerd out. And um, he is obsessed with uh, one scene in, in Wrath of Khan that makes no sense. There are two scenes in Wrath of Khan that don't really make sense. And, then, and now in the director's cut, they do. One is when Khan has just launched his first assault on the Enterprise. Um, and Kirk, James Kirk, has pulled the old switcheroo. Scotty appears in the doorway with one of the lads that's been hurt in the engine room in his arms, holding him, crying. And everyone just sort of pulls a face like, oh, my God. And it didn't really make much sense because we've just watched about 20 people go down in that confrontation. So why should we care? So why does everyone care so much about this? I mean, yeah, it's sad. But why this specific guy in the director's cut? We find out that he's not a, a random. He's actually a relative of Scotty's. And he's a he and Kirk is his hero. He's excited to be there. He's looking forward to it, and um, that's why it's more poignant when he meets his. You know, Scotty stood there. He stared at his post while the others ran. You know, oh, it means something now. This young lad wanted to be a hero. We've got some establishing stuff to make the loss more poignant. There's another loss that's more made more poignant on the big screen too. I'll get to that in a minute. The other scene that makes more sense now is when. The first time we see Khan on City Alpha 5 that they believe is City Alpha 6. This is the tragedy of Khan. Khan Noonan Singh is the great Star Trek villain as far as I'm concerned. He's the best one. He, he originally appeared in an episode of the original series. I think it's called the Space Seed or the Star Seed. He's a, a genetically modified Superman. 
who is awoken from status, from sleep by um, Kirk, by the crew of the Enterprise, who find his ship adrift. And he tries to take the Enterprise using his superior intellect and cunning and fails. And at the end, Kirk leaves him on City Alpha 5 to start to establish a new life there with his followers. And unbeknownst to Kirk, in the when Kirk goes away, in the sort of 20 years since Kirk left him, or whatever it was, 15 years, there was a cosmic accident. City Alpha 6 blew up. City Alpha 5 shifted from its orbit. And the whole planet was laid waste. And Khan is pissed off about this. And like everyone with an act of God happens, is looking for someone to blame. You know, and he blames James Kirk. And uh, yes, that's the setup for the Wrath of Khan. He seeks vengeance and this is his opportunity. So, But the scene where he meets the two... Uh, Chekhov and a, a red shirt. <laughs> I don't forget the character's name. They've been down to what they believe is City Alpha 6 and Khan has found them. And it's the first scene. And, he, always, and he's, he, he confronts them. And at one point he's talking about what happened to him. And the red shirt goes, but I never, I never even met Admiral Kirk. And Khan is, Admiral Kirk. Admiral. Because he was captain when he, you know, dashed him off. But that's odd because... No one's mentioned Kirk's name. So how does the red shirt know that Khan is talking about Kirk? It's a, a minor glitch in the Matrix. I didn't even notice it until it was pointed out to me. And it's been the defining quest of this guy's life on the ship to find out. what, what that, that makes no sense. I mean, it just drives it. It's driven him mad for years. So if you're listening to this, my Disney friend, it's all fixed in this director's cut that I saw. In this version... Pardon me, nicely timed Belch. In this version, Kirk's name has come up. You know, he has been mentioned. Uh, when Khan's telling the tale, he never told you the tale of his captain, James T. Kirk, and how he abandoned us here. And blah, 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 blah. Well, I've never even met Admiral Kirk. Now it makes sense, because Khan has mentioned Kirk up front. So there you go. Lay that ghost to rest, my friend. Lay that ghost to rest, my friend, and enjoy the rest of your six months on the Disney magic. <laughs> if you're listening to this. It's very interesting dynamics in that film. It's established that, I mean, it's established that Khan is superhuman. You know, he's a genetically modified Superman. He's, he's got the strength of about 10 men and the intellect is, is enhanced. But he never uses the strength. Not what, He uses it once in the film, or twice in the film. Once when he picks up Chekhov. You know, I, I don't know you, but you, I never forget a face, Mr. Chekhov. He picks him up. Why are you here? Why? Holds him up there like that. And Ricardo Montalban, who plays the role, is still a unit. He's no stranger to a gym. He's one of those guys who's like, he must have been in his 70s when he made it and he looks, he's still shredded. You know what I mean? It's that, it's that hard muscle. It's that Kirk Douglas, Burt Lancaster muscle. It's that functional muscle. It's not like a, a condom full of walnuts. Do you know what I mean? It's a, a, a toughness to him, like a, a leanness. Like you know that if he hit you, it would hurt, even though he's the age he is. And, um, but he never, that's it. He uses it then. And then later on in the film, he uses it to move some rubble. He just picks up a piece of stuff that's fallen on his son and just throws it across the room. But there's no, like, he never actually meets Kirk. They never get in the same room. They interact about three or four times in the whole thing via communication. That's it. 
two or three confrontations. The rest of it is just two spaceships and strategy. Khan steals a, a Federation spaceship and it's him and the Enterprise against each other having this, this dogfight in space. It's like, you know, two great big ocean ships having one of those battles, but in space. It's brilliant. And it's all about tactics and double play and making someone think you're weak when you're strong and how they're trying to outwit each other. And it is a brilliant film if you've not seen it. But to see it on the big screen, you pick up all the subtleties and the nuances, the subtleties in in uh, Ricardo Montalban's performance. I've never noticed before. He's not he's shifting. There's an internal battle between his intellect and his rage and emotion wins, you know, as it often does. Emotion often trumps intellect, you know. And this is, this, is, this is definitely the case here. He's constantly quoting Moby Dick because that's the only book he's read. There's a bit when they're looking through his ship and the only book they've got, they've got three or four books. One of them's Moby Dick and it's been well thumbed and he keeps quoting it. You know, sub Subbing Kirk for the whale. <laughs> Just seeing it on the big screen. Such a buzz to be sat in a cinema and hear come through them speakers. Ta-da! the stars even the credits gave me a buzz those names coming out on the big screen William Shatner Leonard Nimoy D. Forrest Kelly and all the names zoom, 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 and then right at the end and starring Ricardo Montalban as Khan that always used to give me a buzz when I was a kid and Billin like that I don't know why it's a weird thing but it just did like Superman 2, when uh, Terence Stamp name comes up, and Terence Stamp as General Zod, it's like, oh, like a little bit of a, mm, give me a little buzz. Simple things make me happy. I should have and billing on my next production. Next time I'm in something, I insist on the credits. As the names go past, it'll be and Danny Buckler as the wise one. Or <laughs> some, some, some such shit. <laughs> Oh, and the death of Spock is always a hell. Spoilers for a 35-year-old film, but the death of Spock. It's no secret Spock dies in this film. It's no secret he comes back in the next one. But even seeing that, even... First of all, because I got swept up in the film, I forgot that was coming completely. And um, watching that again, like I say, I don't know if it's, if it's the, the, the neurological trick of being in the cinema, kidding me into thinking I'm a younger bloke, but... I felt like a child watching it again. And that moment, genuinely tears. Tears in the eyes was, was as Spock makes his decision and sacrifices himself. You know, the, the needs of the many must outweigh the needs of the few or the one. So when he goes like a Vulcan Corbin into the nuclear reactor and takes, saves the ship but takes the hit and he, and he dies... Or does he? Because there's some Vulcan mind magic going on as well. But that scene with the two of them, it's just so beautifully shot. They're both either side of a sheet of glass that they can't open. Otherwise, it's going to flood the ship with radiation. Spock dying inside. Kirk, his best mate, his best mate outside. The t their hands touching either side of the glass as Spock's strength is going. And he just slides down that glass with quiet dignity. Oh, what a scene. I'm welling up now at the thought of it. Hell of a thing when Spock died, if I may be permitted to quote an episode of Seinfeld. But it's true. Hell of a thing when Spock died. When I was a kid, that, that was it. Deaths. Fictitious characters' deaths carried weight. 
Spot dying. Optimus Prime in Transformers, the movie. Jesus. He dies like 10 minutes into it. And oh my God, when he turns to black, when the colours go out of him, he turns grey as he dies. After his final battle with Megatron. Oh, they knew how to hit you in the in the the fields back in the day. Now it all gets spoiled on the internet. You know what's going to happen before it does. You know who's going to get murdered in EastEnders at Christmas. About six weeks before it happens. But Wrath of Khan, I had no idea Spock was going to die first time I saw it. And I forgot, you know, when seeing it on the big screen, it brought it, it, brought it all back home. What a film. Do see it. Do see it on the big screen if you can. How am I doing for time? Oh, time has caught me. Ladies and gentlemen, the Bucklerverse lives. Moving forward, plenty more coming down the pipe. Please subscribe to my podcast. Um, I'm sure I'll see you, if not in the real world, then on here at some point. I have been Danny Buckler. This has been the Bucklerverse. This light has to get fixed. I'll see you next time. Take care. Farewell. Have a nice weekend. Ta-ra. <laughs>